Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, April 11th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta. Joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Senior writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. Okay, so this morning was... That the hotel apocalypse, this is the thing that happens every year for Comic-Con where everybody, not just press, but everybody hoping to be in San Diego for Comic-Con tries to get a hotel. And it's a very stressful uh, thing. I think we survived. We, we have not found out if we have gotten any hotel yet. But uh, does anybody have any thoughts on the hotel apocalypse? I have a question for you, Peter, since you've been doing Comic-Con for a lot longer than I have, which is... In the days before it was a lottery system, the days before it was more tightly regulated, back when it was like a true Wild West, first come, first serve system, do you prefer that chaos versus the organized big question mark of this now? Oh, I I prefer that because at least back then, it was all about being competent and who was the first to fill out the form would get the best hotel room. So uh, if if you had your, your shit together, 
you would actually get a hotel room. And that's what actually kind of bothers me of like, you know, Star Wars Celebration is going on starting today. And to get into those panels, you had to enter a lottery system. It's by pure chance you get in there. At least, um, you know, the way it used to be, if you were willing to wait long enough in advance and put in the time and the effort, you would guarantee yourself in there. Now it's just a crapshoot. So uh, I, I don't know. I, I prefer – even though, like, I'm, I'm not saying I prefer to wait in lines. I, I'm saying I, I prefer there to be some skill or effort and less chance. Yeah, I think there's a happy medium to be found because, like, for example, attending other film festivals is harder for me now because Fantastic Fest has a lottery system of sorts for your daily schedule where it, an algorithm tries to piece together everybody's preferences and make sure everybody gets most of what they want. And it, it's a wonderful thing. And I like seeing a similar line of thought being applied to larger events with these massive crowds so that people you know, don't have to, you know, bust their butts too hard but at the same time you're right i feel like somebody who someone like us who needs a room so we can make sure the site gets coverage um it, it hurts a lot for us not to be prepared for that but actually i want to hear from chris and ben real quick because they don't want to sworn off comic-con for the rest of their lives <laughs> yeah i mean i i can see it both ways right like i've seen some people in peter's twitter mentions talking about how a lottery system is beneficial for people who like have uh, disabilities, for example, like for people who it's really difficult for them to sleep overnight or whatever. So I understand it from that angle. But, and but, how... but in that example, that example does not hold true because people with disabilities get into Comic-Con in a special line that gets them in before anybody else. I yeah, feel that like might the... be true. I mean, I think I'm probably closer to Chris's total opinion on this whole thing, and I'll let him share that because he shared it with us in the Slack channel earlier. <laughs> but I, I assume that's what he's going to say right now. I mean, I I would prefer all of this goes away. I I just feel <laughs> yeah. like this this like sucks the energy out of everything. Like I I really like Star Wars. I'm not like a fanatic, but I'm a big Star Wars fan, especially of the new movies. But just thinking about this celebration. I'm not even there, but just thinking about all this crap is making me be like, I don't want to ever hear about Star Wars ever again. I just feel like this really, it just, it deflates the, it's, it just boils it down to this, like, I don't know. It's, 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 like it's, not, it's not fun. Like yeah. nothing's fun about this. Like I want to, you know, I like movies cause I enjoy them. I don't want to think about like waiting in lines and getting into a, a, a room in time. It's just, I don't know, but that's me. I know some people live for this shit. So more power to them. Chris, you got to show you care in some way. You got to wait in the lines. I, I care when I see the movie and then I talk about the movie. And, and last, <laughs> last time, people that waited in lines, Ryan Johnson came out overnight and like went down the line to every single person, took photos with them. Yeah, and look them. what that got him. Now everyone yells at him on Twitter until he dies. So yeah. it was all for nothing. <laughs> okay, we spent five minutes on lines and Comic-Con. Let, let's move into the news. Or actually, before we get into the news, I just want to mention that I did appear on Collider's Movie Talk, which is airing today. I taped it yesterday. So if you know what that is, check that out. You can see me in, you know, on video, and not just my voice. Okay, let's move into the news. Let's first talk with uh, about something that hit last night. And this is that Donald Glover's movie is surprise dropping on Amazon Prime. This weekend? What do we know, Ben? 
Yeah, so Donald Glover and Rihanna are co-starring in a movie called Guava Island. They shot it last summer in Cuba, and uh, all of a sudden, last night, we got this. We got word that Amazon Prime Video picked it up in a bidding war situation when the movie was still in post-production. And yes, they're going to be releasing it online on Amazon Prime starting like Friday at midnight, like Saturday morning at 12.01 a.m. Pacific time. The cool thing about this is that for the first 18 hours of its availability, you don't even have to subscribe to Amazon Prime to watch it. Just anybody with an internet connection can just, I've linked it in the the article that we wrote at Slash Home. So if you want to figure out how to get there, you can click through and and bookmark the page or whatever. But uh, anybody can watch it until 6 p.m. on Saturday. So is this a full length feature film? We I just found out through an article at Vanity Fair that this movie is actually one hour long, but it's like a musical. There's music as an element of it, which you would expect considering uh, Glover and Rihanna are both musicians as well as actors. But it's it's a tropical thriller that is sort of inspired by movies like City of God and Prince's Purple Rain. And uh, Donald Glover plays a musician who's living in Cuba who is determined to throw a festival for his island community. So that's the basic uh, setup of this thing. And um, yeah, it's called Guava Island. It comes out very, very soon. And the director of this is someone really cool, right, Ben? Oh, yeah. Hiro Murai is directing this. He's like an up and coming filmmaker. He's directed a bunch of episodes of shows like Atlanta and Barry. And he directed the This Is America video uh, for Donald Glover's musician alter ego, Childish Gambino, last year. Yeah, he's a great director. The, the first couple episodes of Barry this year, I think, are directed by him. I've been seeing yeah. his name on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let's move on to Child's Play. I know Chris is kind of excited for this movie. Maybe not. Uh, but the, the remake has scored a interesting composer. Chris, tell us about it. Yes, my, my feelings about the Child's Play remake are complicated. I was initially 100% uh, against it, but I've been slowly coming around to begrudgingly admitting that it might be okay. And uh, that has to do with they just keep announcing really cool talent involved with the film. It has a really cool cast. Mark Hamill is doing the voice of Chucky now. And now uh, Bear McCreary, who uh, is, a, is a composer who's done music for The Walking Dead, and he did a, a really great soundtrack for 10 Cloverfield Lane. He has been hired to do the score for this film. And um, he posted a video of himself playing, I guess what is the, the new theme for the new child's play. And to, you know, in keeping with the film's uh, storyline, which, you know, involves toys, obviously he put together a quote unquote toy orchestra. So he's got all these instruments that are like toy instruments, like a toy piano and all this stuff. And that's what he's using to compose some of the music for the film. And you know, that's a, that's a nice touch. I, I like his music. So at the very least, this film will have a good cast and a good soundtrack. I don't know about everything else, but those elements will probably be sound. I think he's such a, like a fascinating composer. Uh, I've, anyone else here watched the new Battlestar Galactica from about 10 years ago? Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I think that's when yeah. he kind of made his name in, in 2004 yeah. with that. And he, he did some TV after that, like Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. He did uh, Walking Dead, that in, infamous theme there. And yeah. um, he also did uh, Black Sails, the, the, which I liked. Um, I think probably my favorite thing from him is probably 10 Cloverfield Lane. And I did like what he actually did with um, Dan Trachtenberg's uh his uh black mirror episode he did like something that was more kind of like uh video gamey for for that i'm wondering uh jacob what is your favorite thing that he's done i mean i think he's 
his versatility is what makes him amazing. But this Battlestar theme for me is an all timer. I mean, for those of you who have not uh, seen that show, rather than go with a traditional Star Wars esque, you know, or- orchestral thing, it's very percussion heavy. It's very um, subdued at times. And watching these space battles that are essentially scored by pounding drums in its almost tribal way is not something I expected to like as much as I do, but it's a really inspired choice. Ben, do you have any favorite of his scores? Um, I really enjoy the 10 Cloverfield Lane thing as well. I think that's probably the biggest thing that I've seen of him because I, I haven't really dipped into Walking Dead since like the first season. Um, and yeah. I still haven't seen Battlestar yet, but yeah. And he also does some video game soundtracks. He did Assassin's Creed Syndicate. He did uh, God of War. Uh, Chris, I'm assuming you're going to also say 10 Cloverfield Lane? Yeah, I said that actually yeah. when we started. But And uh, he even did the soundtrack for the terrible... Cloverfield paradox, and even though that movie is awful, his soundtrack for it is really cool. So he do, he's one of those people who like he does soundtracks you can listen to without actually enjoying the film. So that's that's always in my mind the sign of a, a good composer. Yeah, and his next film to hit theaters is Godzilla: King of the Monsters. So I'm looking forward to that as well. Okay, let's move on to our next story. Uh, I got a chance to talk to the Russo brothers last week at the Avengers Endgame junket. Since they didn't want to really talk about the movie much, I kind of asked them questions that they could answer, one of which uh, was, why did they lie about this Avengers Endgame title? So uh, let's rewind here. Um, You know, before Avengers Infinity War came out, Kevin Feige was quoted on as saying the reason why they haven't released the title for Avengers 4 was because it was a spoiler for Infinity War. So that, of course, you know, all the fans... The speculation just kicked into high gear, and especially after Infinity War hit theaters, uh, that speculation even intensified. And I think, Jacob, even the day after Infinity War hit theaters, you were on this podcast and you theorized that the name of the movie would be Avengers Endgame based on a line of dialogue in the film spoken by Doctor Strange. So I think you were kind of on the cusp of of this. And many people speculated that. And I think Uproxx asked the Russos in an interview, is the title of the fourth Avengers film ever spoken in Infinity War? To which Joe Russo responded, no. And um, so when the title was actually eventually announced as Avengers Endgame, I think some fans and some journalists were both a little miffed that the filmmakers basically lied. So I, I asked the Russo brothers uh, if they did lie and uh, and why they lied. And basically, Anthony Russo responded jokingly that no one ever said Avengers Endgame in the movie. So, you know, technically they didn't lie. And Joe, you can read the full quote. I'll link it in the show notes. But he basically explained that, you know, this was a year before the movie was released and we are constantly changing things. And they're, these are iterative, creative processes. It is Im- impossible to commit to anything with any clarity a year before you're about to release some content. And he, he goes on to say that basically that as creatives, they should be given the room to release, you know, to be able to talk about that stuff whenever they want and not be pressured into choices in the same way that a writer wants to feel like they're getting accurate answers out of us. There's no accurate answers a year out. So I guess the question here is, is this kind of bullshit? Because on, on one hand, yes, it is. Oh, what, yeah. <laughs> what do you have to say about this, Chris? No, they're just uh, for what? Oh, so here's the thing. I actually don't think filmmakers owe it to anyone to tell the truth. I remember 
or even actors. Like I remember uh, when the Dark Knight Rises came out for years, uh, Marion Cotillard was saying, oh, I'm not playing Talia, even though we all knew she was. And then it came out and it proved that she was. And everyone was like, oh, she lied. It's like, who cares? Like, this isn't, it's not like, you know, she's under oath. You're, you know, it's not like she's a member of the United States government. And the same thing goes with the, the Russo brothers. It's okay if you're lying about movies. Is it? To, I don't think it's okay. okay. I do. Well, here's, here's my point. I know Jacob probably has something to say about this, but like when someone goes to J.J. Abrams and is like, you know, is benedict cumberbatch playing khan in star wars into or star trek into darkness now you're putting that filmmaker in a corner and that's a big reveal in that movie and yes it's okay for him to lie it's okay for uh you know the dark knight lie to happen i think like you know you want to protect the story for the fans that i totally get but in a world where we are being lied to, and I don't want to make this like super serious because we're talking about like superhero movies here, but in a world where we're being lied to, you know, on TV every day by politicians that you know govern our world, like it's it's sad that like we're getting lied to about a title that, I mean, well, let me let me add this caveat: well, if the Russo brothers were asked, well, no, okay. There is a much clever way to answer this question. Like if, if if I were the Russo brothers and I was asked, you know, is the title in Infinity War? I'd be like, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Or I, I could answer, you know, we can't talk about the title. We're not thinking about that quite yet. Like there's ways of answering that question without lying to the press. I, I agree. I actually want to add that even though I don't think it's a big deal when you lie about a movie, I, I also think – the Marvel system in general acts just a little too crazy about their spoilers. Like really, they really could have just given us that title right after uh, infinity war. It really wouldn't have changed anything. And I, I do think they, they take the spoiler culture just a little bit too seriously. So it's like a double edged sword. I don't think it's a big deal, but I also feel like Marvel needs to lighten up just ever so slightly. Jacob, what are your thoughts on the subject? I feel like I fall somewhere between you two because as Peter alluded to, it is literally my job to care about this stuff. It's my job to care about this stuff. So average folks can get away from the regular world and read about movies. It is my, it's my job to care about what the title of Avengers movie is. So I can ensure that we run a good movie website. <laughs> that, that, that is my job. So I have to care. And I think Kevin Feige is an example of doing this right. If you ask Kevin Feige a question, he doesn't want to answer as Peter can attest He'll give you an answer that's genuinely satisfying, good to read, sounds great, but doesn't answer your damn question one bit whatsoever. He's he's skilled at it. Whereas the Russos and J.J. Abrams, even though they love preserving mysteries, they aren't. So I think that Kevin Feige is is the case example of how you dodge questions while still satisfying the press and satisfying people who want to know this stuff and who care about this stuff. I think there's a fine line. I really wish the Russos had just like smiled and said, we're not going to talk about that as opposed yeah. to saying an untruth. That's it. But at the same time, yeah, it's silly. It's silly for a regular person to care about this. But for me and Peter, it's, it, it this is our lives. <laughs> this is our career. So yeah, I care about well, it. Well, well, the other part of this, Jacob is like when, when you have a filmmaker that is willing to lie for their movies, then you ask them questions about other stuff you don't know what could possibly be a lie and what could be the truth. Do you know what I mean? Like, what is the value in what they're saying in that interview after that? Ben, you have an opinion on this, I'm sure. Um, yeah, that I think what Peter just brought up is my only problem with the whole thing. Is like, if you're lying to preserve a secret, then it 
kind of can call the the entire rest of the whole thing into question. And like, I guess that just means you only get to talk to people about stuff that's already out and then you can trust their answers because it's already out and done and the the surprise has been <laughs> released on the world. But yeah, I don't know. It's a, I think you guys have covered all, all the big touch <laughs> points here. Yeah. And I, I want to re- reiterate that I'm not like, this isn't something that like I'm super upset about. I don't care that they lied about the Avengers four title, but doing this for a living, it, it did. Uh, I feel like there was a better way that they could have handled this. Like I, I, I do, I do think when you do put a filmmaker in a corner where it's something that they don't want to reveal and you're basically putting them in that corner that they have to reveal, you you have to lie. That is total – like I am behind that 100%. J.J. Abrams was in his full right to lie about Khan. Uh, he wasn't in his full right to like make that decision that that was going to be a big twist because that was stupid. But he was in his full right to lie when when people asked about it. Um, but okay, let's move on. Let's talk about Avengers Endgame because this film is you know one of the highest selling movies of all time for pre ticket sales. Uh, ben, how how well is this doing thus far? Yeah, in the first week of pre sales, uh, Fandango says that Avengers Endgame has sold five times as many tickets uh, as. Infinity War, which is the movie that, as of right now, holds the domestic record for the biggest opening weekend ever. Uh, according to Adam Tickets, A-T-O-M, Adam Tickets, uh, they said that Avengers Endgame has sold twice as many tickets in the first week as the next four record holders combined. And those movies are Aquaman, Star Wars, The Last Jedi, Avengers Infinity War, and Captain Marvel. So that's like a pretty impressive statistic right there. And uh, yeah, I'm guessing this movie is going to make... Spoiler alert, a lot of money when it opens at the box office. Here, here's my question to you guys, because this is obviously going to be the number one movie of the summer. I, we have not recorded our summer movie wager yet uh, with the Slash Film cast that's coming up, but this is going to be included. And this is I don't think there's any way that this isn't going to be number one. But what I'm wondering is, you know, this is selling five times more tickets than Infinity War. Like, how big of a worldwide box office do you think this is going to do? Like, do you think that this has the potential to actually overtake Avatar or Titanic at the at the worldwide record box office? It will beat their opening for sure, and it'll be the next dollar movie from Marvel, but the difference between Marvel and Avatar is that Avatar played for a long, long time. It opened late enough in the year for it to play into the dry months of January, February, March, where no one could top it. Same with Titanic in many ways. And Marvel films, you know, they're very front-loaded. It's going to make a crap ton of money. People are going to probably really enjoy it. But there's so much summer competition that it's it's going to maybe crest that $2 billion mark and stop. Let me give you the numbers here before uh, we get more commentary on this. Uh, Avengers Infinity War is the number four biggest film of all time with $2 billion. Forty-eight million dollars. It, it it was like twenty million dollars from overtaking Force Awakens. Then above that, you have to go up like another hundred and twenty million dollars to beat Titanic. And then from there, you got to go up. Uh, I think like six hundred million to beat Avatar, which is that two point, nearly two point eight billion dollars worldwide. So I guess m- my big question here is: Infinity War was, you know a big event film at the end of 10 years of Marvel history. And like this film seems like more of a sequel than ever before. Like, I don't feel like you can go into this film without having seen infinity war. So like, 
is this movie going to do a lot more money than Infinity War made? Do you know what I mean? Because like, I feel like you need to have people have people have had to have seen Infinity War to see Endgame. Yeah, I think I feel like this is going to make a lot more than Infinity War, but I don't know if it's ever going to touch Avatar. I'm curious what Chris thinks about this. Do you think that that there's any way that because Avatar was sort of like so um, broad in its story that it played really well globally? Do you think there's any way that that worldwide this movie is going to come close to Avatar? Uh, I think this is going to be a box office flop. I don't know what you guys are talking about. Um, no, I, I, I really don't know. It seems like the hype for this is so extreme. Like I, you know, I, I assumed the hype would be big, but it's even bigger than I was expecting. So I think maybe, I really don't know. But like Jacob said, Avatar had that, you know, that added bonus of coming out. Uh, I think it was like near Christmas, or at least I saw it near Christmas. So it was in theaters for a long amount of time, whereas the summer season is pretty crowded. I mean, I don't think anything else is going to be as big as uh, Endgame is this summer, but there there is going to be more competition for it than Avatar had, so I, I really don't know. Yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. I, I feel like with these big event films, you need to see them to be part of the conversation, and I think some people that skipped out on Infinity War and didn't show up at the theater, I feel like are going to feel the need to actually have to see Endgame in the theaters before they get spoiled. So um, we'll have to see. It'll be interesting to see how how much of a financial impact this this has on the box office. But let's move on to TV. Later today, Disney is kind of rolling out their Disney Plus streaming service. And uh, one of the things we learned yesterday is that one of these shows is going to be a Hawkeye TV series, a live action Hawkeye TV series starring Jeremy Jeremy Renner. Chris, what do we know about this? Uh, Yeah, basically what you just said. Uh, Jeremy Renner is going to uh, jump from the big screen to the small screen with Disney Plus's Hawkeye series. And uh, the series is also going to feature a uh, comic book fan favorite, uh, Kate Bishop, who also becomes Hawkeye. He hands the, the mantle of Hawkeye off to that character. And the show is going to be about him uh, training her and you know there's already been some speculation that Kate Bishop is going to be a character in Endgame you know there's that shot in the trailer where Hawkeye's training uh, a female character to shoot an arrow but some have also speculated that might be you know one of his kids grown up but in any case uh, it feels like this is also a, a sign to indicate that no matter what happens in Endgame Hawkeye is going to survive because he has his own TV show now so that's something um, that I guess has been spoiled so thank you Disney Plus you gave away the game what well, could be a prequel we don't know if yeah. he trained uh, Kate Bishop in between you know the time we you know between uh, I guess the snap in between the snap yeah. maybe maybe. I feel like that's like the that's like the the answer everyone uses now. Like, oh, how how does Spider Man Far From Home work? It could be a prequel. It's just like it, that that answer is going to get old after a while. I do think some of these TV shows are going to be prequels, though. This one definitely sounds like it's not going to be. Jacob, do you have any thoughts on a Hawkeye TV series? Uh, I do, which is that the, for the most part, the Marvel movies have dropped the ball on Hawkeye in a major way. Uh, Jeremy Renner does not seem very engaged most of the time. The movies generally don't give him much to do. He spends most of the first Avengers movie just being a mind-controlled villain. The only writer who really tapped into what makes Hawkeye interesting is uh, Josh Whedon with Avengers Age of Ultron, where he kind of became the emotional core of the movie as the normal guy who is 
continuously flabbergasted by the fact that he's on the Avengers. And there's a great scene near the end of the movie, of a movie that's very underrated, by the way, uh, where he's doing a big pump-up speech to Scarlet Witch saying, uh, I'm in a city, a floating city surrounded by robots. I'm armed with a bow and arrow. None of this makes sense. And that's what I want out of Hawkeye. And that's what makes um, Hawkeye so great in the Marvel comics is that he's an incredibly normal human being, not even as like skillful as Black Widow, who is constantly over his head, constantly in danger. A fall that wouldn't even bother Thor breaks his leg in the comic. And I, and hearing that this is a Kate Bishop series makes you think of the Matt Fraction, David Aja uh, run on Hawkeye from a few years ago. That won a bunch of awards, sold really well. It's over now. It's all complete, collected in one volume. You should read it. It's so and good. Read it. it is, like, seek this out. Yeah. It may be my, my favorite superhero comic of all time, or, or at least it's up there with Alan Moore's Swamp Thing. It, it's that good. And... The basic whole gist of that comic is it follows the parallel stories of Clint Barton uh, and uh, Kate Bishop as they go about their various Hawkeye adventures. And it really narrows down on the idea of Hawkeye being involved in incredibly grounded, normal human stories where he walks away from a car car chase, you know, incredibly bruised up. He spends the next couple of issues wearing bandages. And I want that. I want a series that not only has Kate Bishop, who's a great character, but acknowledges just how frail and mortal Hawkeye is and how his real superpower is not bows and arrows, but the fact that he manages to keep getting back up and keep on fighting alongside gods and superhumans. The the thing I like about these Disney Plus TV series is, um, and Chris, I think you mentioned this a couple weeks ago on the podcast, that Patrick H. Willems had this this video essay on uh, what what he doesn't like about the MCU. And one of the things he brings up is kind of like this illusion of change that is something that Stan Lee created in the comics. And in these movies, we're getting we're basically going big event to big event to big event. And uh, things change. And in the next movie, I think they're almost kind of retconned in, in many ways because, you know, there isn't much time to deal with these changes. And in the comics, you have like a year in between these big events uh, for to be with these characters and see how they react to the, those changes in their lives and their world. And I feel like these TV shows are going to give us a glimpse into into that is so, something that we haven't been getting in the MCU. And that, that, that's why I'm kind of excited about this. Um, but, you know, let's move on. We, we have a lot to talk about here. Let's talk about uh, Greece. Greece is getting not a sequel, but a prequel. Ben, what is going on here? So if you remember the opening scene to the 1978 movie Grease, uh, it begins with Danny Zuko, played by John Travolta, and uh, Sandy Olsen, played by Olivia Newton-John. They're on a beach, and they're having a great time together and talking about how this has been the best summer of their lives. And then a few minutes later into the movie, they sing this song called Summer Nights, where they recount the early days of their romance. This is before they realize that they're at the same school. Uh, Sandy, of course, is like innocent and naive. And Danny is is basically bragging to his friends about how they got hot and heavy uh, on the beach. And then that's kind of it. That's all you really need to know about the origins of Sandy and Dandy's romance. But apparently not, because now Paramount is making a movie called Summer Loving. That is a prequel uh, it's being written by John August, who wrote the screenplays for movies like Big Fish and Go. And it's going to, I guess, just explore the fateful meeting of Danny and Sandy uh, that crazy summer. Uh, guys, I, I'm i not sure why we need this. Um, the only 
thing that is giving me any sense of hope here is that John August is obviously a very talented and very smart guy. He hosts a podcast called Script Notes that is all about screenwriting. He clearly knows that this sounds like a stupid idea. So unless this is just a cash grab, I'm hoping he has some sort of pitch here that that would make things interesting. But it's very, very difficult to understand from this point how this could be a good idea. Chris, are you a fan of Greece? Oh, absolutely not. Greece is awful. <laughs> so, no. Jacob, I know you like musicals. I love musicals. I, I think Greece is a bad musical. I do think the uh, the live version Fox did a few years ago is actually genuinely amazing. Like from a technical point of view, I watched. I've watched like three times because I'm amazed at how they pulled it off. Man, the songs suck. The characters suck. The stories suck. And, and as Ben said, John August is a really terrific writer. But this is this entire movie is summed up in a three minute song at the start of the first movie. So who cares? I, I don't care. I, I don't think we need a Grease prequel so I think we, we we've we've all weighed in in this we don't we don't need a Grease prequel no <laughs> I mean I, I do have faith in John August I like John August I one of my favorite films of all time is his movie Go which he wrote um, and he tends to write some good stuff even like it you know even when he's you know dealing with like big budget Tim Burton movies you know he, he creates uh, some, some great stuff but I feel like does anybody even care about this movie or a prequel? The, the audience for Mamma Mia, here we go again. People want prequels, the musicals, no one asked for. <laughs> I think you put you hit the nail on the hammer there. I think it's probably the success of that movie that got this greenlit. So, uh, okay, let's talk about one last thing. I know we're going over time here, but uh, we're, we're going to be inundated by stuff later this week. We have Star Wars Celebration, which is starting today. We have this Disney investors call that they're going to announce all this Disney Plus stuff later today. So we won't get to this if we don't talk about it now. Uh, there was a story about J.J. Abrams in the magazine Fast Company. They did basically a profile on him, but it revealed a, a few bits about Star Wars Episode Nine. Uh, including how is it going to respond to Ryan Johnson's Last Jedi? Because as you know, I think Ryan Johnson's Last Jedi kind of takes some swerves from where I think J.J. probably originally had planned to, uh, you know, had laid out the the train tracks. He had, you know, uh, so what I'm wondering, Ben, is what did we learn from this article in terms of that? Yeah, I'm just going to read his quote here and then we can talk about it. He said, I had some gut instincts about where the story would have gone, but without getting in the weeds on episode eight, that was a story that Ryan wrote and was telling based on seven before we met. So he was taking the thing in another direction. So we also had to respond to episode eight. Uh, so our movie was not just following what we had started. It was following what he had started and then uh, or what we had started and then had been advanced by someone else. So there was that. And finally, it was resolving nine movies. And this is the really interesting part. While there were some threads of larger ideas and some big picture things that had been conceived decades ago and a lot of ideas that Lawrence Kazin and I had while we were doing episode seven, the lack of absolute inevitability, the lack of a complete structure for this thing, given the way it was being run, was an enormous challenge. So that's his quote there. Um, now, this infuriates me. The, even him, <laughs> him admitting that there's a lack of a complete structure when going into this trilogy is so infuriating. And I know he's he's possibly to blame for this. And, and Kathleen Kennedy. I mean, I'm sure Kathleen Kennedy like was, you know, giving the reins to any, you know, the filmmakers that were involved here, giving free reign. That is a good thing. Having artistic freedom. Yes, that's great. 
But I, I, I wish that when J.J. made Force Awakens that there was some kind of outline for this trilogy or some kind of, you know, broad strokes. Like, it, like uh, you need a showrunner for these things. I, I think I've gone on, a, on a, enough about this. But what do you guys think of, from these comments? It sounds like it sounds like he's basically admitting to it here. Yeah, I think so. And he's saying uh, the thing that really interests me is the stuff where he talks about, you know, these big picture things that had been conceived decades ago, how he seemed to he seems to be implying that he incorporated some of those ideas into this movie. So I wonder if like and, you know, there, there's all sorts of stuff that's been written about what George Lucas originally intended for these three movies back when they were, you know, twinkles in his eye. Um, and, I, and I'm wondering if like, you know, by the way, just, George Lucas, as much as he said he had a plan, he didn't have a plan. <laughs> so, I mean, and those worked out. So, I don't know. Yeah, and a- Abrams is such a purist and such like a, a pop storyteller that I wonder if he is going to like sort of go out of his way to to sort of incorporate as much of that stuff as he can into this movie. And he is also like a big I know he, he loves crowd pleasing stuff and the, the fandom of Star Wars is very loud and, you know, has made it very clear the kind of stuff that they want to see. So I'm. I don't know this this quote. I, I'm a little worried about it because, as everybody knows, I loved uh, the Last Jedi, and I feel like the original direction that that Ryan Johnson took that movie in it was like a, a breath of fresh air for the Star Wars franchise. But and it sounds like Abrams is just going to sort of, you know, take a, another turn back toward what he had all along. But uh, Jacob, Chris, what do you guys think? Uh, I, uh, let let me say this, my, my expectations for the new Star Wars film are at an all time low. I'm, I'm going to see it. Obviously I hope it turns out really well, but I feel like so much of what JJ Abrams has been saying, uh, you know, ever since he took this, this gig has been suggesting he just wants to kind of just like ignore everything in the last Jedi. And while that might make some people online very happy, it does not make me happy at all. So I'm not really looking forward to that if that's the case, but I hope, (laughs) I hope I'm not uh, right there, but we'll see. Yeah. I think JJ Abrams is a filmmaker whose heart is always in the right place. Uh, I I do not doubt his talent or enthusiasm, but I, I share Chris's wariness, even though I am more optimistic than he is. We should say that he did say that it's going to address the last Jedi. It wasn't like, I, I, I mean, I, I know you, I know Chris is reading between the lines here, but it, it does sound like if you read the quote, he is saying that it is going to take into account the the changes that Ryan put into Last Jedi, right? Yeah, but I really don't want it to be him being like all that stuff was not true. Like it was, it was fake. Like I really don't want that to happen. And if it does, think, it's, I don't think that's going to happen. I think Snoke is dead. I think right. y- you do have Ray who was told, you know, about her parents from an unreliable narrator. That that could be different because we do agree that like that is not set in stone. Even in that movie, I think. Yeah, but that's Ryan like Johnson one of my said that. That's one of my favorite parts of the Last Jedi. That whole scene where she, you know, is told she's she's from nothing. Like I love that idea. That's so much cooler to me than some dumb like bloodline thing. Like oh, you're Luke's secret daughter. That like I don't. That's so dull to me. Like I, I I'm so much more excited by her just being you know a quote unquote nobody who becomes this this you know hero. That's so much more interesting to me. But I don't know. 
Well, I predict it's going to be something in between, Chris. I, I, I predict it's not going to be she's Luke's secret daughter, and it's also not going to be that she was nobody. So uh, we'll have to see. Uh, maybe we'll get some hints of that tomorrow as the trailer hits hits online. Uh, let's talk about one last thing, and that is that J.J. Uh, Abrams almost turned down Episode Nine. Chris, you wrote about this for the site. What do we know? Uh, yeah, J.J. Abrams, he, 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 you know, in this interview, he, he was talking about how he was almost ready to move on to a new uh, project when uh, Kath, Kathleen Kennedy called him up. You know, this was after uh, Colin Trevorrow was either uh, left on his own or was fired, depending on who you ask, from episode nine. And Kathleen Kennedy said, you know, do you want to come back and make episode nine? And J.J. Uh, Abrams says his orig- his initial knee-jerk reaction was to just say no. Like, he didn't want to do it. And, he, you know, he said his reasoning behind that was he was so worried that he would screw up The Force Awakens. And, you know, for you know, almost everyone – in almost everyone's opinion, he didn't do that. The, the film is it's pretty much well-received by critics. Uh, fans seem to like it. And he, he felt like, you know, he dodged a bullet and he, he was sort of worried that he's, he's sort of like tempting fate to come back and do the movie again. And he might not dodge that bullet again. But he also added that, you know, his wife sort of put it in perspective and told him it was a chance to, you know, finish what he started essentially with the first film. And so he came back. But but once again, the fact that his original reaction was like, oh, I don't want to do that is you know, another thing that makes me nervous about this movie. So we'll see yeah and there's also the time constraints this movie had a a release date and you know didn't have a script they threw out the colin trevorrow script uh i will put a link into the in the show notes to ben's article on that so you can read um his other hesitations of why he almost turned down star wars episode nine there you can find more of all of our work at slashfilm.com you can read all the stories we talked about in today's podcast linked in the show notes this podcast slash home daily is published every weekday on itunes google overcast spotify all the popular podcast apps please feel free to send us your feedback question comments concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com and uh please head on over to itunes page write us a good review tell your friends spread the word we'll see you tomorrow or maybe even later today with some Disney stuff. We'll see.